You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. It's really good to be in this space with all of you. I love watching the, the, the pews, the virtual pews fill up as we start this service and just you're still streaming in and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Let's take a few breaths to center and anchor and across time and space, just breathe together for a minute as we begin this hour of worship together. deep breath in. And out. And then one more, just breathing in from the bottom of your toes and up through your belly. Filling your lungs. And then exhaling together. morning everyone uh today's story is all about everybody's favorite waiting it goes like this uh there once was a little caterpillar who loved to run and play with all of his friends in the garden what are oh i forgot to say that you all are welcome to help me tell the story so get whoever has your fastest typing fingers in your household close to the keyboard my first question is what kind of games do you think they were playing the caterpillar, uh, chess, <laughs> someone said. What other games? Uno, of course, hide and seek. We had a couple of people. Uh, Ali said, Mankala, tag, eating contest, hopscotch charades, rummy, checkers, tag. Exactly. So they were playing all these games and the caterpillar was having so much fun that he didn't even want to stop to eat. But all of his other little caterpillar friends were eating. More and more they were eating each day, munching away, and soon they weren't playing as much. So one day all the other caterpillars climbed up a tree and hung upside down from the branches. What are you doing? Caterpillar cried, let's play. The sun is shining bright and you're just hanging there. We're making a cocoon, they replied. In a few weeks, we'll be butterflies. A few weeks, whined the caterpillar. That's like forever. And sitting in a cocoon sounds so boring. And the other caterpillars just laughed and said, you silly caterpillar, try not to whine and cry. You need a little patience to become a butterfly. But no matter how the caterpillar whined and moaned and begged his friends to come back and play with them, they would not. And soon they were all snug in their cocoons and couldn't even talk to him. Oh, he said, I'll just find someone else to play with. And he creeped off to another corner of the garden next to some big red tomatoes where he found a flying friend. What kind of flying friend do you think he found? Uh, 
Shelly said a bee. Jessica said a bird. Emily said a bat. Yeah, I think it was a, a bird bat bee. <laughs> it maybe it was a bee. And and the flying friend said, uh, hey, do you want to race? Let's have a race. And the caterpillar said, yes, I've been looking for someone to play with and I love a good race. How about we race all the way to the radishes? Okay, said the bee and off they went. The little caterpillar did his best to keep up, but he had to climb over so many rocks and plants and all kinds of things that were laying on the ground and the bee just zipped through the air and beat the little caterpillar by a mile. When the caterpillar finally made it to the first radish, he was out of breath. <laughs> it's, it's not fair, it's not fair. He whined, you can fly and I can't. One day, when you have wings like me, said the bee, we can race again and see who wins. Oh, that'll take too long, whined the caterpillar. I wanna win a race right now. Not when I'm a butterfly. Well, the bee just laughed and flew away and said, you silly caterpillar, try not to whine and cry. You need a little patience to become a butterfly. Well, the little caterpillar looked up at the tree and all his friends hanging in their cocoons. That didn't seem nice to be able to fly though, but it would be so boring just to hang around in the sack doing nothing. He thought of all of the things he would like to do while in his chrysalis. What are some of the things you think he wanted to do while he was in his chrysalis metamorphosizing into a butterfly? Oh, singing. Oh, yes, I love to sing. Exactly. Sanja said, play cards. Amy said, reading. Joanna said, reading too. Someone said, sleeping and sewing. Uh, someone said, eating fruit and berries. TJA said, watch TV. Uh, Kirsten said, eat nothing but cars. <laughs> Frederick said, dance. Lynn said, make s'mores. Allie said, juggle. Yeah. Shelly said, play video games. Exactly. So the butterfly gathered all of those things, video games, cards, books, a little guitar to sing along with, some knitting needles and some yarn, some balls to juggle, all of those things, and gathered them to drag them up to the top of the tree. Well, just then a butterfly was flying by and said to the caterpillar, what are you doing? And the caterpillar said, I wanna become a butterfly so I can fly and play with my friends, but I don't wanna sit in a cocoon for two weeks and do nothing. It's so long and so boring. Waiting is so hard. Hey friends, why do you think waiting is so hard? What do you think? Why is waiting so hard? Cause it can be boring, yeah. You're right. Sanja said, because you want to do stuff. Yeah, like right now we're waiting for the pandemic to be over and we all want to do stuff that we can't do. And be, oh, excellent answer. Shelly said, because you can't control it. And Emily also said, you have no control over it. And Martha said, we're thinking of a future instead of being present. Oh, that is so wise. Susanna said, you're stuck with your thoughts. <laughs> Sarah said, sometimes waiting is scary. And Robin said, you have to have faith in the future. And Juliana said, you're excited for what's next. <laughs> Martha, 
<laughs> Kathy said, oh, we have to be with ourselves differently. Yes, because it's boring, Cal said. And Ali said, pandemic is pain in the neck. Exactly. And then Linda said, because you don't know if what you're waiting for will really happen. Oh, you all are so smart and so wise. Exactly. And so that's why the caterpillar said to the butterfly, I'm just bringing some fun stuff to do while I wait. And the butterfly said, oh, I understand. But you won't have the time or space for all of that stuff. Your transformation will require the whole cocoon and your full focus. And really it's not boring at all because the whole time you're in your cocoon, your body is growing the most beautiful wings and your brain is learning how to flap your wings and fly and get nectar from the flowers. The waiting is the most important part. Otherwise, what kind of butterfly would you be but one that can't fly or play? What do you think might be the benefits of waiting through our pandemic? This is kind of a tricky question. I don't actually know the answer. <laughs> I mean, I have some wishes for what the benefits of the pandemic will be, but what do you think the benefits of our waiting might be? Uh, keeping each other safe, yes, thank you. Um, David said, my family says, oh, I, I'm back to the last question. Uh, Victoria said, learning, I, I see a chance to become who you need to be next. Um, you can realize all that you already have. Mari said, staying healthy. Um, someone said, not taking things for granted. We're getting more family time now to enjoy doing the things I don't normally do. Uh, developing empathy for each other's situations. Thank you, Brianna. Uh, learning to embrace uncertainty. Dan said, and Sarah said, putting other needs before my own. And Frederick said, greater appreciation for the importance of each other and socializing. Cal said to reconnect with nature. That's what I've been doing. And Jessica said, time to slow down. Exactly. So the caterpillar thought about all of that for a moment and said, well, I do wanna be a butterfly that plays and flutters. And so he dropped all of his things and climbed a tree saying, Come on, Caterpillar, today's your day to try. It takes a little patience to become a butterfly. And the Caterpillar hung himself upside down and wrapped himself up nice and tight in his cocoon. And for the next two weeks, he waited and waited and waited and grew and learned and changed and waited. And just when he thought he couldn't take it anymore, his two wicks were up and he began to emerge from his cocoon. He could hear his friends fluttering around playing new flying games. What are the flying games you think the butterflies were playing outside of his cocoon? Oh, races, exactly. Just what the butterfly wanted to do. Kidditch, <laughs> yes, Harry Potter fans. Tag, precisely, thank you, Murphys. And Linda and Carl, yeah, acrobats. Dancing, Lisa said, yes. Flying broomsticks. Linda said, hide and seek. Exactly. Pollen collection, said Sanja. You're so smart. The most important thing. Yes. Tricks, Amy said. Exactly. They were all playing flying games. And the caterpillar inside the cocoon thought, oh no, I want to be out there playing. Help, friends. He called, friends, help me get out. Let me out. I want to play. Plus, I need help, my cocoon opening is so tight. And one of the butterflies said, dude, 
My grandpa told me a story about a butterfly that got cut out of his chrysalis too early and he wasn't ready. The guy just wound up being a slimy worm with wings that didn't work. Getting out of the chrysalis is hard, but if you don't do it on your own, you'll never fly. My grandpa says, you gotta go through the whole process to get the best results. Well, finally, finally, the big day arrived and the caterpillar broke out of his cocoon, unfurled his wings and flew into the bright blue sky to find his friends ready to play and race and explore. He learned that it was worth the wait. Thank you all for helping me to tell my story. Um, so many great um, ideas in the chat. Next, you're gonna hear a song from the choir called Lo How Arose. And you'll find the lyrics to this song in the order of service. See you next time.
I've been arising early these days. I get up uh, usually around five in the morning. By six o'clock in the morning after some spiritual practices and coffee, of course, coffee, I'm out the door for a walk around the lake. When I return home at seven in the morning, the moon and the stars are still visible in the night sky. And I feel a really deep kinship with them because when I'm up so early on summer mornings or spring mornings, the stars and the moon are long gone by seven. But in wintertime, only the faintest hints of dawn have emerged by seven. In these winter months, these winter days, the dawn has such a slow feel to it. The actual rising of the sun takes so much time. It's as if the sun itself is struggling, exhausted, barely able to lift itself out of the bed, set aside the covers, and get up over the horizon. By 7.30 in the morning, there is more light, but still no sun. And for the next two weeks, the light will diminish even further as we approach the winter solstice, that shortest day of the year. We are in a season of waiting for the light to return. The season of short days and long dark nights. This year, it is also a collective season of separation, of grief. This is what was in the prayer chat, so much of this sense of separation, of grief. It is unlike any other season that we have experienced in so many ways. The words of the Irish poet John O'Donohue speak to this time. He writes this. You are in this time of the interim where everything seems withheld. The path you took to get here has washed out. The path forward, the way forward is still concealed from you. The old is not old enough to have died away. The new is still too young to be born. You cannot lay claim to anything in this place of dusk. Your eyes are blurred and there is no mirror. As far as you can, hold your confidence. Do not allow your confusion to squander this call, which is loosening your roots and false ground, that you might come free from all you have outgrown. What is being transformed here is your mind, and it is difficult and slow to become new. The more faithfully you can endure here, the more refined your heart will become for your arrival in the new dawn. The new dawn is coming. Surely it is coming. The new dawn is coming, but it is not yet here. And so the question as we wait might well be, what does faithful endurance look like? Perhaps faithful endurance begins with naming and normalizing the experiences of this time. My sense is that many of us have hit a wall, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. We made it through the summer and the fall. We braced and prepared for winter, and winter is upon us now and harder and worse than we imagined. And we're exhausted. We're worried. Many of us are stuck in our homes. Many of us feel stuck or trapped in sameness, 
or in routines, stuck in what feels like a maze that we just can't find an exit to. We're stuck in grief and there's layers and layers to that grief. Climate chaos, wildfires, hurricanes, the record setting temperatures of this past year, grief at the lives and jobs lost, grief at the indifference and silence and lies of the current administration. As the poet says, the old is not old enough to have died away. The new is still too young to be born. There is a heaviness to this time. The way forward is still concealed. What we know is that this holiday season, we will not gather in the sanctuary for our Christmas pageant or our winter solstice service or our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We will not pack into those pews with loved ones as we have done in years past or maybe even for the first time this year. If you're new to our community, we will not be in that sanctuary with family visiting for the holidays with children home from college sitting with us, singing with us. We will not sing those familiar carols as one body together. We will not light candles and hold candles, letting that light illuminate our faces and then turning in wonder to see the illuminated faces of those around us. This is what is known. We will not gather in those ways. But something else is known as well in this time. In this space, in this season, something is being transformed. Something is stirring. Something is happening. It is difficult and slow, this unnamed process, this becoming new. And perhaps like never before, the external realities of this time, the slowing, the waiting, the not knowing, that reality, that truth, that perfectly aligns with the rituals and the holy days of this season. And those rituals and holy days can create containers for us to rest in. They are stories that hold this larger moment we are in as we await the birth of the new dawn. Think of the story, the archetypal story of Mary and Joseph, this poor, humble couple journeying to Bethlehem to be taxed. Talk about a story where everything seems to be withheld. Neither Mary nor Joseph have any of the answers that they would like. Joseph, I'm quite certain, has got to be wondering again and again in his mind, who exactly is the father of this child? And Mary's only comfort in this story is the angel Gabriel gently whispering to her, be not afraid. It's great advice, but still, put yourself in those shoes. You're holding the biggest questions of your life. In this case, whose child is this? What is, what is happening? When will this be over? And the answers aren't forthcoming. What does come, what we see in this story is the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph to journey together, to stay together, to walk and travel together. What does come is the kindness of a fellow human being who offers love, who opens up space, the space he has to this family so they can rest for a bit before their child is born 
before hope and possibility can be born into the new dawn. And the winter solstice, this ancient ritual that marks the darkest, darkest time of the year, this ancient, ancient ritual invites us to befriend the darkness, to surrender to the darkness, to let go, to trust that a new dawn, a new dawn with just a tiny bit more daylight will come. On the day after the winter solstice, we can barely even tell anything has changed. We're asked to believe in something we cannot see or even imagine, at least not at first. This makes me think of a story. I remember a number of years ago when I was doing my hospital chaplaincy when I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was on call for the night and on my rounds through the emergency room, I was wandering through the emergency room. It was loud, it was chaotic. There was beeping and shouting and everything you'd expect in an emergency room and late in the evening. And as I walked through the emergency room, one of the nurses asked me, she saw I was a chaplain. She asked me if I would stop by the room of a patient who had just come in. So I walked over to that room and at the entrance of that room, I announced that I was the chaplain and I asked for consent. Is it okay if I, if I come in? Okay said the patient just a little bit defensively, but, but I'm fine. The look on their face said otherwise. So I said, is it okay if I, I sit down? And the patient nodded and I sat. And I said, how are you? How are you? There was a long silence. We just sort of sat in that space. And then they began to talk. They were angry, they were depressed. They were wondering about the meaning and purpose of their life. They talked about how hard and what a struggle just some of the day-to-day -day things were for them. The patient paused and then, and then said, I love my dog. I really love my dog. And for the first time, I heard just a hint of joy and love. I'm sure your dog loves you too. I said, and we sat there and then I said, thank you for sharing all of that with me, your suffering, your joy, your love of your dog. We sat together in silence for a moment more. And then I, and then I asked, can I share an image that has come to me? And the patient nodded. And so I went on, I said, I have an image of you wandering in this big maze. And in this maze, it's kind of dark, it's kind of gloomy. There are no signs, there's no markers, there's no guides. It's just, it just feels like there's twisting maze everywhere. And I wonder what might happen if you stop and just look up out of the, of the maze. I wonder if you might see the night sky, if you might imagine in this maze that feels like your life, if you can look up, could you see the night sky in the twinkling of stars or the moon? Could you see the North Star? Something that could give you a bearing, something that can ground you. I went on and I said, maybe it's a combination of you know looking up and seeing what's there and looking inward, but I wonder if there is something in those places, a key that will help you get your bearings, that will help orient you to this challenging time. There was a long silence again. It was just an offering I made, an invitation. There are no quick answers 
to the hard realities of being human and struggling and suffering. So we sat there a little bit and then the patient said, you mean, you mean like the key to the secret garden? Referring to the book by the same title. I said, yeah, something like that, I think. And a small smile appeared on the patient's face. I don't think it was a smile that meant, oh great, all my problems are fixed now. I'm going to look up and find my way out of this hard place, but rather a smile that indicated something had shifted, something had loosened just a little bit, that the way forward was not totally clear, but there was a sense that a new dawn could come and would come. I share this story with you this morning because I thought of it on a recent early morning walk as I saw the stars and the moon in the dark, dark morning sky. I share this story because in these interim days when the weight of the world feels so heavy and we are stretched and tired and anxious and short with one another and angry and at the edge of what we can hold, in this season of waiting in the hard place, we are needing a North Star to guide us, to help refine our hearts as we faithfully endure. I think of the teachings of author Mark Nepo and how much changed for him after he had this cancer diagnosis. How much changed for him after this diagnosis and his journey of not knowing really not knowing whether he would live or die. This journey of waiting and wondering and watching pieces that seem so important be stripped away from his life. It was not an easy journey. In that time, Nepo traced the outlines of his own death. He felt his own mortality as close as it could possibly be. And when he finally arrived in the new dawn, he reflected on this new orientation to living. He shared this. My efforts have turned from trying to outrun suffering to trying to express it. From trying to achieve joy to trying to discover it. And from trying to shape the lives around me to accepting love wherever I can find it. Friends, in this in-between time, this time of waiting, this time of wondering, this time when our efforts alone will change little, we cannot pull the sun up any faster than its natural pace. In this time, let us not attempt to outrun the suffering that is so present among us. Let us set aside dreams of achieving joy in a season so upended and instead discover the joy and grace and surprises that live in this time. And let us forgo the urge to shape the lives around us by the force of our will and instead give and accept love wherever we can. Dear ones, I love you. May this be so. Blessed be and amen.
David, thank you so much for sharing your passion, your gift of music with us this morning. Thank you. Beloveds, we are in the time of the interim, a time of waiting, a time of not knowing. In this time, may we hold fast to one another. May we be gentle and loving with ourselves. May we reach out to ask for the support and comfort we need May we listen and offer kindness. May we trust that even here, in this interim time, joy exists and love is available. May we faithfully endure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.